Today, it's, uh, I did it in the message translation. Proverbs 3, uh, 5, and 6 it says, Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who keeps you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. So today, I'm going to be talking about the law. You say, why, why, do you, why do we need to know about the law? Well, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, their relationship with God was based upon the law. And it wasn't just, a lot of people think it was just the Ten Commandments. It was actually six, over 600 different laws that they had to live by or try to live by, over 600. So their relationship with God was a bunch of do's and don'ts. And unfortunately, and I do mean unfortunately, a large portion of the church today, their relationship with God is based upon do's and don'ts. And that's, how, how would you, well, some people do do this, but in your relationship to your spouse, to your friends, I mean, your relationship should not be built upon do's and don'ts, you know. Thank you. I was just waiting. I, I thought if I could wait for 10 minutes, I bet you I'll get one. But anyway, uh, so today, I, this message is twofold. I want to, it, uh, you know, we have a, out there on that wall to rethink God. Rethink God. And so uh, I'm believing that this will help us in our relationship to think of our Father God differently than what a lot of people think. And also to help you or us, I should say, and our relationship with people. Man, if we ever need help when relating to one another, it's today. I mean, the whole world is crazy. But um, I, this is a different definition. I heard this minister uh, say a different definition of sin. And I thought this was good. I like it. Are you ready? Is anybody here today? It's, those lights are blinding me. I just want to make... <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right. Just want to make sure people are out there. It's like, I know it's cold, but hopefully some of you are awake. Uh, it says, sin is any thought, feeling, belief, or behavior that causes us to experience ourselves less than God sees us and thereby fail to experience the prize or the goal of the very life of God. That is awesome. I just believe I've never heard anybody talk about sin. You know, you know, most people think sin. Yeah, that's when you do something bad or wrong. But God, I believe God sees things so differently than what people see things. I really believe that. And um, I know a lot of times we as just human beings, we feel like when people should get what they deserve. And um, I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't think that way. <laughs> we don't get what we deserve from God. Now, don't get in a ditch on me. You know, people say, well, so we can do anyway. I'm sorry I have to say this, but you all don't get the emails that I get. So I have to verify, you know, I'm not saying that you can live any way you want, do anything you want to do, and that's okay. You shouldn't get, no, if you rob a bank, you're going to go to prison, and I'll visit you when you go to jail, all right? 
But God's love still love you, and you know what? I'll still love you. I may say, you know, that wasn't smart, you know, but uh, I'll still love you, and so will God. But um, I'm thankful that uh, God does not give us what we deserve. In 1 Timothy, we're going to talk about that, and that's why we're going to nail this law thing. I, I, I felt like I needed to talk on. I'm going to do one more Sunday in November uh, because I was gone one Sunday in October, so I'm going to do one more in November. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Did you hear that? The law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers, fathers, and murderers, and mothers, for manslayers. Paul was saying that the law is not for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and to be honest with you, I mean, I believe that, you know, there the law is, you know, we're not supposed to kill anybody. But if there's not a law that, that said you didn't want to kill, you shouldn't kill anybody, I'm still not going to kill somebody. <laughs> the law is just to, for those who are always going to be breaking the law, so there has to be rules and regulations for the lawless. But for those who are in Christ, who are made righteous for the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not laws and a bunch of do's and don'ts for those who are in Christ. All right? So the intent for the law is to, uh, to contain the lawless people. And it's the same way today. We have laws to contain lawless people. And so they're not meant for those who by nature would do no harm to anyone even if there were no laws in the land to regulate them. Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31. Tell me, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Haven't you ever listened to what the law really says? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave girl and the other by the free woman? Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was a child of the natural realm, but Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the Spirit, a child of the promise of God. These two women and their two sons express an allegory and became symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai, birthing children into slavery, children born to Hagar. For Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem of today who are currently in bondage. I want you to get that because if you're living by the law, you're in bondage. You're in bondage. Verse 26. In contrast, there is a heavenly Jerusalem above us, which is our, one, our true mother. She is the free woman birthing children into freedom. For it is written, burst forth with gladness, O barren woman, with no children. Break through with the shouts of joy and jubilee, for you are about to give birth. The one who was once considered desolate and barren now has more children than the one who has a husband. Dear friends, just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom of promises. And just as the son of the natural woman at the time harassed the son, born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. And what does the scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave woman and her son. The son of the slave woman would not be a true heir. For the true heir of the promise, promises is the son of the free woman. 
It's now so obvious we're not the children of the slave woman. We're the supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace. We're under grace today, not law. And grace means so many different things to so many different people. It does. But it's actually grace is just Jesus, bottom line. It's just who Jesus is. He's grace. And so... um, I want to dispel at our core being, our foundation, that our relationship with God should not be based upon our performance. And you say, well, Mike, you've been talking about this for years. I have. And when I talk to people today, which would be you all, I can tell within 10 or 15 minutes of talking to you, If you have this or not in your core belief system. And thus, we are still talking about it. Because it's vitally important. If you think your relationship with God, of you being acceptable to God, is based upon how well you perform, you and me are always going to come up short. And I'm not talking about five foot five short. On the inside, I'm 6'2", so <laughs> I've been that way all my life. I was the shortest person in my class. Can you believe that? I'm sure by looking at me today, you probably would have a hard time believing that, but growing up in school. But um, we have to understand who we are on the inside, and it's not who we are actually what we do on the outside. But if you have a revelation of who you are on the inside, it should affect the outside. But the outside cannot be, I have to do this to affect the inside. It's, it's the cart before the horse. And yet that's what we try to do. In John chapter 8, I'm reading long scriptures today. I know I usually just read one or two, but this is going to be a long one. John chapter 8, this is 1 through 12, the Passion Translation. Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where the, uh, he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and he taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars, what kind of scholars? Religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Can you just get a picture of that? Can you imagine that woman? How shameful and fearful that she must have thought being done that way. And then, I'll just throw this on the side. Where was the guy? Just a side note. Where was the guy? They just brought the woman. I know I'm from Kentucky, but it takes two to, have a, uh, to commit adultery, just so you know. You do know that. I'm just saying, you do know that, right? I mean, this is supposed to be a PG uh, sermon. But anyway, um, they made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone her to death, a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. 
But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down, wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked, to, looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And when he bent over again, wrote some more words on the dust. Upon hearing that, her accuser solely left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from now on. Be free from, the, from a life of sin. Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and those who embrace me will experience life-giving light, and they will never walk in darkness. Now, let's just go back here to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. This says, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress, in other words, the man and the woman, shall surely be put to death. That's the law. Do you understand? That is the law. No ifs, no buts. Death is what the law demands with adultery, and Jesus told everyone he wasn't abolishing the law. So now he's stuck. If he, he already told everybody, I'm not abolishing the law. So they bring the law before him. So now he's, he's got a predicament. And that's what they were trying to catch him in. Hey, the law says we're supposed to kill these, this woman. Actually, the law said you're supposed to kill both of them. And so this was definitely a setup. Can you see that? <laughs> the religious leaders, this was a setup for the woman because there was no guy there. So he was probably in on it as well. Uh, so it seems like Jesus is going to be stuck now because he's got to uphold the law. No, he brilliantly reveals their hypocrisy and their hatred for grace and the love of God. Let me read in the New King James Version, John 8, 7 says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. He who is without sin. Why did Jesus seem to just totally disobey the law? John 1.17 gives us some insight. This is the Passion Translation of John 1.17. Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy and grace, and truth came through Jesus. So grace and truth came through Jesus. Only the law came through Moses. So Jesus, at this point of his ministry, is introducing something totally different than what the religious people had a clue about. And I dare say there's a lot of religious people who still don't have a clue about things like this. We're quick to judge. We're quick to point the finger. Especially if somebody who does something, one of the biggie sins, which man came up with the biggie sins, but you know what I mean. You know, and we put ourselves in a position like, well, I would never do something like that. But whereas the law, and see, this is why 
people don't even understand about the law anyway. Because this is what the law says. If you break in the minor part of the law, you're guilty of the whole law being broken. So you're just as guilty as being a murderer as if you pick up sticks or do something work-related on the Sabbath. That's pretty strict. I said, that's pretty strict, is it? And to be convicted or uh, condemned, I should say, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of any and all part of the law. Well, you won't find grace in the letter of the law. You won't. You will find truth in the law, but it's very heartless and unforgiving truth. When the law demands death, there are no exceptions. The law was black and white, but all of a sudden, Jesus starts almost mitigating with the, the religious people. Do you know in the law, there was no, you can't do that. It was in black and white. But Jesus takes what the heart of the Father truly is. The religious people were taking the letter of the law because the letter of the law killeth. But there is life and spirit in what God wants his revelation to be known by. And so it's vitally important that we get a hold of this. It's vital because, you know, people say, well, I just, there's a lot of things that are not fair. I'm going to tell you something. This is, this is a slap you upside the hair. God's not fair. You say, what do you mean? He never gives us what we deserve. You remember the story of Jesus tells the parable that uh, this employer hired somebody in the morning and said, I'm going to, would you work for me for, um, we'll just throw out a figure, $10 a day. Sure. He agreed to that. And then at lunchtime, he hired more people and said, uh, would you work for the rest of the part of the day for $10? He said, sure, I'll do that. And then, let's just call it 4 o'clock. Quitting time was 5. At 4 o'clock, he hired some people, and he said, would you work uh, for me today? And so that employer paid everybody the same amount, but he started with the people who just worked for one hour, and he gave them a certain amount. And then the people who started at 12, he gave them the same amount. And then so the people who started early in the morning thought, well, we're gonna, definitely going to get more than them because we started earlier. What happened? They got the same amount. And they said, well, this is unfair. And, and the employer said, did you not agree to work with me? Yeah, we did, but you gave just the same amount to the people who only worked one hour. And he goes, yeah, I did. It's my money, it's my job, and it's my position. I can do that. I can show grace to whom I want to, and I chose to show grace unto them. But this is the thing. God has shown grace to all of us. To all of us. And I do think there are people. You know when I got a revelation of grace about 10, 12, 15 years ago? I don't know how long ago it was. I just assumed that people would just be knocking the doors down to this church and just going, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
And I'm amazed at people who don't like this message. Actually, I was having we I was having a conversation with Jared, and there was somebody else who was my age, uh, close to my age, which is quite young, I may say. But uh, <laughs> I know. But uh, uh, I said I, it's just hard for me to understand that people have a hard time really just grasping the message of grace. And Jared said, well, it's mostly people your generation, not my generation. <laughs> and I just thought, there's a lot of truth in what he said. Because we were raised in the do's and the don'ts generation. We were raised if, you know, you just, anything happens, you're going to get it. And if you don't watch it, God's going to get you. I got, how many heard that phrase? If you, if you don't, you better watch out. God's going to get you. And I do know this. It seems, this is just, a, it seems that if people who had um, super strict parents or parents that were not very uh, loving, I watched that uh, movie um, it was a true story of Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a popular Christian artist in the uh, 80s, I think, 70s, 80s. And anybody ever heard of Rich Mullins? Okay, this is a horrible illustration. But anyway, anyway, if you want to look him up, you can see it on Amazon or Netflix or whatever in this movie. But it, it, I'm not saying being judgmental. It shows on the movie that his father really was not a good father to him. He showed absolutely zero love to this guy. So what happened to Rich Mullins is he became an alcoholic. Uh, he was just a hot mess. Even while he was uh, writing Christian songs and everything, he just had a hard time because of wanting acceptance from his father. Therefore, it was hard for him to get acceptance from his father God because the two were not lining up. And so this is what I know. I know that people will take something in the natural and try to bring that into the spiritual realm and cause and make them think this is how God is. That is so far from the truth. And this is what I know. You can have the greatest father on the planet and he will never even come close to your heavenly father. I mean, not even close. I said not even close. And I know this, you know, as a, as a father, you know, I know I'm not a perfect father. I, I've got kids who go to this church, so they, please don't talk to them about it. But anyway, I, I'm, I know I'm not a perfect father, but this is what I do know. All my, Melly, she gave me the greatest compliment about a year or two ago. She says, I do know one thing, Mike, your kids know that, that, that you absolutely love them no matter what. Ka-ching. Good enough. Have I messed up, screwed up, did things that I shouldn't? I mean, I've apologized to my kids so many times. And, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have did that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just hit the play button every once in a while. Sorry. But this is the thing. They know that I love them even when they screw up. Even when they're not perfect. But we have a tendency to think that our Heavenly Father may not be like that. 
And I know you've heard this from this pulpit probably a hundred times. But I guarantee you need to hear it a hundred more. That God loves you no matter what. No matter what. I will say this. Why is grace and truth so superior to the law? Well, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one. So what is the law of the the anointed one? It's the law of Jesus. And he says this, love people and love God. Love people and love God. So that's what he wants us to do. I had a problem with that because I just thought it says to love God with all of your heart, with all your strength, with all of your might. I just told God one time, I said, I struggle with that. He goes, I know. I said, I, I mean to love you with every fiber of my being, every part of my mind, every, everything about that. He said, he said, I know. But he says, you're concentrating on the wrong thing. You should be concentrating on how much I love you. That's your job, not how much you love me. Your job, Mike, is to concentrate on how much I love you. I forgot if I I talked for eight hours this past week in Bible school, so I don't know if I said this last week or not. Did I tell you about um, when Peter denied Jesus? Did I tell you all that last? I did? Okay, good. Thank you, Lynn. She just gave me permission to tell you again. Can you make sure you always sit right around in here? Okay, all right, let's do that. Anyway, um, Peter, you know, on the Last Supper, Jesus says, somebody here is going to deny me. Everybody goes, no, who, who, which one is it? And Peter just gets emboldened and said, I would never do that. I would never do that. He didn't realize, but he was having a law mentality by his relationship with God was what he could do or could not do. That's how his re- was relating to Jesus. You follow this? So I would never do that because, you know, I, I'm just a strong Christian. I'm a strong believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would never do something like that. <laughs> 24 hours later, what's he do? He doesn't deny Jesus once. He denies him three times. And yet John, on the other hand, he had a revelation. Out of all 12 disciples, John was the only one who had a revelation that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He didn't even call himself John. In the book of John, he doesn't even call himself John. He speaks in second person and he says, I'm the one that, and that disciple, the one that Jesus loved. The point is this, that if you are constantly having your relationship built upon the law or what you can do or what you can't do, performance, you will not end up in the destination that God wants you to be at. The most important time in history was the cross. Would everybody agree that? The the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, if you're Jesus, would you want your best friends 
at the foot of the cross. I mean, let's just get real. If that was you, wouldn't you? I mean, when you're going through something terrible, don't you want your best friends around? You know? And here, out of all the disciples, there was only one at the foot of the cross. John, the one whom Jesus loved. I truly believe this with all my heart. John was not at the foot of the cross because he felt like, well, you know, Jesus is, he's really wanting me there, so I should be there, you know. And I'm sure he didn't go down his list going, I don't really want to be there, so I don't want to do that. No, I believe John was there because of the great love that he understood that Jesus had for him. And that just caused him to be there without him even thinking about it. I think the church around the world as a whole, we really don't have a clue how much God loves us. And you hear that all the time. Oh, I know God loves me, and I know what people are saying. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, eh. No, you don't. None of us do. None of us do. And yet this woman caught in the very act of of adultery And I dare say if this happened today, a lot of the same judgmental attitude would be towards her today. Don't get stupid on me and just say, oh, so you're saying it's okay to commit adultery? Oh, just stop it. Of course not. You'll probably lose your relationship with your husband or your wife or whatever. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. We're easily... It's easy for mankind to be judgmental on something like this. And here is the Savior of the world, the man who has never committed a sin, sits there and goes, neither do I condemn you. You tell me, what caused that woman to be set free that day? The religious people who brought her in with shame, condemnation and guilt and said she's done wrong in front of everybody in the public. Can you imagine? I don't know about you, but if I do something wrong, I don't want it to be on Facebook and Netflix and Channel 5 News. And this is what was going on. That's what religion will do to you, though. It's easy to point the finger at people who are doing wrong. But the heart of our Father God is to love them. I guarantee you that woman was changed, transformed, like nobody could even think from that point on. Jesus looks at her eyeball to eyeball and says, Neither do I condemn you. Now go. In this love that I just confessed and poured out to you, go in that love and live your life free from sin. Who empowered that lady? The ones who pointed the finger or the love that came out of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me close with this. You know, we want grace and tolerance, don't we? I mean, that we want people to look at us differently. We want grace in our lives. In other words, I don't want to get the, the judgment that I should. I'm thankful that I don't. But how about this when it comes to our relationships, especially if you're married? 
or with your friends. I will do the right thing in this relationship as soon as they stop and you fill in the blank. Just keep looking forward. It'll be good. I will do the right thing in this relationship as soon as they stop or if they would start doing this. I'll, I'll start doing right or I'll start loving them better. I'm just saying this grace message is a two-way street. <laughs> it's a two-way street. It's easy. Man, I've done this with my wife, you know. I thought, man, if she would just quit doing that, I mean, I would, it would, I would, I would treat her better. Come on. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't have that kind of relationship of grace? I'll give you grace, and you know, if you just start living perfectly, if you live perfect, you'll sense my love, you'll sense my promises, you'll sense the word of God. If you just live perfectly, you get married, and you, and you feel like, whoo, they can do no wrong. Six days later, sometimes it's hours. <laughs> well, let's just get real. Minutes for some people. But anyway, after you get married, you know, it, the, the butterflies are gone. What, what honeymoon? But this should be ingrained in us that we give grace to those that, are, that we love the most, that are in our family, that are friends. And usually, we'll give grace to total strangers more than we will to those who live with us. Wow, you're right, man. The, that, oh, yeah. <laughs> Luke 6.31, however you wish to be treated by others is how you should treat everyone else. Jesus came to reveal what God is really like. I said Jesus came to reveal what God is really like. He did. And this is the thing. You know, so there's times in my life I, I just tell God, you said, God, I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I said, man, I, I struggle with that. He goes, I know. I know you do. It's not like it's a hidden thing. I, I see you every day. But this is the thing. He says, Mike, if you would just depend upon the love that has been deposited inside of you, you will see little by little that grace will come out automatically towards your wife. I don't care how great your marriage is, there's always going to be challenges to it. I don't care how great your relationship is with your kids, there's going to be challenges to it. I don't care how great your friendship is with your best friend, there's always going to be challenges to that. But let me just give you this piece of advice. Put things on the altar before God. Understand how much God looks at you and gives you grace. And is unfair as far as not giving you what you deserve to get. I'm telling you, God loves us so much. It's easy for me to forgive because I'm getting a little bit of revelation of God's forgiveness for me. 
it's easy for me to, when my wife doesn't maybe do everything right for me or do something she mistreats or says something that it's kind of like, ooh, a little sharp. You know, my natural mind wants to just retaliate. And my natural mind has, just so you know. But I'm learning. I'm learning. It's a journey. God's patient with us. I just told God yesterday I was talking to him. I said, man, God, I'm just so thankful you're patient with me. Because I wouldn't be patient with me. But I'm thankful you are. You are so patient with me. And because of that, it causes me to have a tendency to be patient toward my wife, towards my kids, towards my friends, towards you all. I'm telling you, the grace message is not just this way. The grace message is for this way. He gave it this way so we can impart it this way. And this is how the world is going to know your followers of the Lord Jesus Christ for your love for one another. This is how the world's going to know you're a Christian. Not because you can quote scripture and throw it at them. Tell them they're going to hell. Yeah, that's always appealing. No, the world's going to know we're Christians because we love one another. In spite of ourselves. I'm telling you. You want marriage counseling? This is marriage counseling 101. You want friendship counseling? This is friendship counseling 101. And if you just want to knock in the head your insecurities, this will help you. This will help every insecurity. This will help every relationship. The grace of God. Let's stand. Hallelujah. I was going to read it. I didn't have enough time, but there's 36 scriptures. I wasn't going to read them. I was just going to quote where they were at about how that you and I are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. But I just want you to start focusing on this part of your relationship with God. Why? Because if you focus on how much he loves you, it's going to help you in your relationships this way. Like I said, if you've been married for a long time and your marriage may be, you may be thinking, I don't, I can't ever see us having any struggles. <laughs> okay, but anyway. I mean, there are people that are naive and I get that. But I do know this, that you can get through anything and everything that life will throw at you if you grab a hold of grace. I know a man that there was infidelity in his marriage. And I'm not saying to do, you know, go what he said or did, but he had a revelation of the love of God and he forgave. Ended up being the greatest marriage you could even think of how can that be human standards it can't but I do know this by the grace of God 
something that's so ugly, so terrible, so rip your heart out and cut it into a thousand pieces that God can take every piece of that heart and mend it together and make it stronger than it ever was. That's what God can do. And He's waiting for people like you and me to look to Him and depend and rely upon Him to do just that. I can't put pieces of heart back together. Nobody can. But not only He can, He does. He can do that. Everything, you know, people can be so hurtful, but God can heal your heart. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for your tremendous love that yes we are free from the law and yes grace has come to abide in us and I just pray for all of our eyes to be open to this grace that not only can we walk in it with our relationship with you but God you desire for us to walk in this grace towards one another towards our spouse towards our children towards our friends even towards strangers the grace of God Give us revelation knowledge. Help us to see that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.